Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? I was introduced to this episode's podcast guest through a connection and a passion for cycling. How appropriate that I learn he is CEO of a 92-year-old family business called Great Lakes Recycling. Sandy Rosen and his sister are today partner owners of a business started by their grandfather, Harry, in 1927, and then run by Harry's son, Ben, who in his 90s still regularly comes into the office. Great Lakes Recycling, or GLR as it's known today, started out in Detroit collecting rags and paper scrap for the production of recycled paper. That led to the recycling of plastic, metal, electronics, and automotive components, acquisitions and divestitures across the near century. I was drawn in by the lessons learned and humble storytelling of Sandy Rosen. I hope and trust you'll enjoy the three-generation Great Lakes recycling story, too. So this is the corporate headquarters of GLR, Great Lakes Recycling, right? Uh, So, I mean, our structure, I think I shared questions with you, but is kind of, you know, talk some about a company that's got rich history in the past, talk, look into the future a little bit, and some of the things that are going on right now. So... I recall that when we met, you told me a little bit about sort of the founding story from your grandfather and all of that. But for listeners who listen and don't read and all of that, so they haven't necessarily seen all the, the historical information, can you just give me kind of the story as you like to tell it about the founding days of this company and or how you learned them and heard them? So it was 1927. Okay. And uh, my grandfather came uh, to the U.S. from Russia in 1905. Hmm. And he uh, he initially went to St. Louis, and he was uh, working in the distribution of the shove this towards you St. Louis Post Dispatch, and um, and you know I don't know, I, I probably knew but don't recall the story of what made him go from St. Louis to Detroit, but uh, I think he came to Detroit in 1919, and uh, and then in 1927 he started collecting waste paper and rags. Uh, for supply to the paper manufacturing business okay. and uh, you don't see it much anymore but fine stationery used to contain cotton or linen and things like that and so they would uh, they would use they would collect used rags and and uh, use it in the manufacture of paper and uh, and they were recycling paper and they're making paper from recycled paper and cardboard uh, you know a hundred years ago uh, but they just didn't call it recycling I got it yeah I, I, I did not know that that went back that far actually yeah, yeah probably more than 100 years in fact uh i am i don't i may be speaking out of turn but i think like fort howard was making uh you know recycled paper products you know in the early 20th century um and then uh, so they my my grandfather started this business you know collecting these things and uh and then my dad uh before even finishing high school started working with my grandfather he needed some help they were down in detroit and my dad used to drive a truck down the back alleys. They had routes, and they would go behind the stores and the alleys, and they uh, had these cardboard routes. They would pick up cardboard boxes behind the stores, 
and bring it back to a, a little building where they um, they would bail it up in these what we called pit balers. It was a uh, machine that was in the ground about 12 feet underground and you would uh, you would fill it from ground level and then you'd close the doors and then this plenum would push up from the bottom and, and crush the cardboard and and huh. make it into a bale and then they would tie it up maybe they may have used may have used even rope then to tie it up I don't know we use steel wires or steel bands now you know but uh, and then they made cardboard bales and they stacked them up on these flatbed trucks and uh, hauled them to a paper mills and typically you know around Lake Erie Lake Erie area Monroe and uh, Sandusky, Ohio, places Great. like that. What was the What was the original name of the company? Uh, H. Rosen. Jeez, uh, H. Rosen and Company, or something, yeah, something like that. Like that. It, it became H. Rosen and Sons when my grand, when, you okay. know, when my dad, and my uncle joined. But uh, I think it was H. Rosen Waste Paper. In fact, I think we have a picture on the wall of the truck. Yeah, you have historical the, photos yeah, around the office. I think it was here. H. Rosen Waste Paper. And and so what was the name evolution then? So then to and Sons and yeah, when it, yeah it was H Rosen and Sons for uh, you know the fifties and the sixties basically, okay. and then um, my dad and my uncle formed a partnership with these two guys in the waste hauling business. They uh, they called it. Great Lakes Paper Stock Corporation. So the Great Lakes came into being then. Yeah, right? we still had H. Rosen and Sons, and that was my dad, and my uncle's business. And then Great Lakes Paper Stock was this partnership they had with these uh, with these trucking guys at the, at actually next door. And um, an interesting little side story. My uh, the these so my dad, and my uncle were 50-50 partners with these two guys that had this company called Gator Trucking. And uh, the the guys sold Gator Trucking to uh, these two other guys from out of state. Uh, one was named Wayne Heisinga. Yeah. And uh, the other one was Dean Buntrock. And uh, they had this little company called Waste Management. And uh, and so these my dad's partners sold their company to Waste Management in uh, around 1970. Wow. And so my dad and my uncle were partners with uh, with Wayne and Dean. And uh, Wayne and Dean came to Roseville to to negotiate. The, my dad and my uncle wanted to buy the, the stock back, and uh, and Dean Buntrek and Wayne Heisinga came to our office in Roseville and negotiated a deal for my dad and my uncle to buy the Great Lakes Paper Stock Corp back. Interesting from waste management. Huh. A little tidbit. The, the, the... And uh, so we had uh, so Great Lakes was the paper recycling outfit, and H Rosen. Was the metal recycling? They had, okay. uh, you know, around the '60s, late '60s, early '70s, they had started collecting small amounts of aluminum and copper and brass and things like that. And uh, and then so later on, in um, in the early '90s, uh, kind of jumping ahead, uh, I, I was I began running the company around '92, and in '94 uh, we made our first acquisition of a company called International Paper Recycling small outfit out of Detroit. The, the guys were about ready to retire and someone made them an offer on their real estate. So they, they really had to sell the business. So Got bought, it. So we bought the business. And we had begun doing plastics by then we, in the early 90s. And so we were doing not just paper and metal, but uh, but also plastics. And um, the uh, the guys who sold us international didn't, they, they thought that it might spook their uh, customers, if they sold, so we called it a merger, even though we had acquired their business. I understand. And uh, at the time, I felt it was wasteful to have two separate companies, you know, our size. So I, um, so in 1994, I merged the paper and the metal business. The, I should say the paper and plastic business. I merged it with the metal business, and we acquired it international. And I, and we just made uh, one name, Great Lakes International Recycling. 
And Got so we, called, we rebranded and put a new logo on it. And we operated <laughs> as, uh, under that name for a long time, uh, for about 10 years, I'd say. And uh, but it uh, it was it was wordy. And uh, and so we began we, we started dropping the international just that, you know, I, I would call people say it's Sandy from Great Lakes Recycling and and and, and the GLR and Great Lakes Recycling sticks. So you talk about taking over running in the 92 early 90s. Yeah. When, when did well, what's your first memory of being at the company at the business? Oh, like, as a, I, I'm sure it was probably before I was 10, maybe. Sure. So uh, in the 70s, we we bought a lot of newspaper from the public, from and from churches and schools. We did paper drives. I remember the old paper drives. And, yeah. Uh, and scouts and people would, uh, you know, you know, people would save their paper and and you could drive, you could throw it in the back of your car, or your station wagon, and bring it over and weigh it and drop it off and get paid cash for it. And hundreds of people would line up on Saturdays, and uh, my dad would take my sister and me to the office, and we would help out with the weighing. You know, okay. the, the, the the cars would pull on the scale, and we would just write down the the description of the car, and uh, and the and the weight, and then they would and we'd wave them on, and uh, and uh, and then we would help pay the you know we'd pay the people, we'd calculate how much they had, and and it was all handwritten tickets, you know, and uh, and and so we you know I'm thinking at age ten probably we were we were chipping we were working this job yeah, to get paid. Know. Uh, you know what? That part I don't recall. Okay. <laughs> Probably, I'm sure my dad gave us five bucks a little, or something. A little bit of money. All right. Those are my earliest memories, and uh, one of my uh, another early memory I have is being is being uh, an early teen, maybe I don't know, twelve or thirteen, and um, I used to help out in the metal shop a little bit too. And it was it was like you know Saturday morning, ten a.m. I was sleeping in and. And apparently my dad called my mom and said, get Sandy down here. And like she pulled me out of bed and drove me over to the to the plant. He was just very busy. He just needed an extra pair of hands. And, and so I would help out in the metal shop. Uh, people would bring in scrap metal. You know, plumbers would bring in a bucket of, of copper fittings or you know, electrician would bring in his you know wire scraps and stuff like that in, in small cardboard boxes, all, all kinds of different things. And uh, they would set it up. There's a, a small scale inside. And uh, and my dad needed it. would create a lot of clutter, you know, because there might be 30, 40 customers and uh and so you need somebody to whisk it away so he'd, he'd weigh it and they didn't pay the customers but you need somebody to whisk the and maybe be shorthanded and uh and, and I, I think that was my my first taste of the metal business which i which i uh began to adore and so you're then like when did you join this family business or did you do other things elsewhere uh or it grew up around it, in it, and in it the whole time. I both. I uh, you know I helped out here quite a bit, but I had a lot of other jobs. I did all the usual kid stuff. I had a paper route. Yeah. I was a stock boy at uh, at a party store. I washed dishes on the midnight shift at the clock restaurant when I was in high school. Uh, I worked at a at a golf, driving range. You know, after closing, we would go out and pick up all the mm-hmm. balls, and uh, again, I probably a few others. I'm, I I might cut grass. It's funny because I uh, we at my house we didn't cut our lawn. We had a lawn service. But you cut other people's lawns. I cut lawn. other people's lawns. <laughs> and uh, a quick another side note: I uh, one day, uh, so one of my friends acquired. So the lawn service was a guy in the neighbor was a neighborhood guy who 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 had a route, and he's when he went off to college, he sold it to another kid in the neighborhood. Which who happened to be one of my friends, and uh, and I would help him out. And I remember one day saying, "Hey, uh, 
You need any, need any help with lawns? Yeah. I said, well, what do you, which one do you want me to do? He says, how about doing yours? <laughs> so I was about 19. It was the first time I ever cut my own lawn. I was doing it as an employee of my buddy. Um, so I, 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 I've done the whole gamut of jobs and uh, and helped out. And I worked here uh, in the summers during college. But the truth is, uh, I uh, I had an older brother. He should rest in peace. Then uh, That was a doctor. He's 15 years older than me. And so, you know, when I was in kindergarten, he was in college. He was in pre-med and and uh, he became a doctor and uh and you know from the time i was a little kid i my folks used to say you're gonna be a doctor like your brother you know and and i i grew up with this idea that it was doctor or nothing you know okay and so i went to pre-med and uh and my first couple of years i I, uh, I I didn't realize how miserable I was, and and, uh, and you know one day the the you know the the lights came on. And I said, Gee, boy, I don't have to do this because it really wasn't for me." But I just I was so programmed into thinking that's what was my destiny that I. Um, well, that's interesting because your grandfather starts a company. Your father works, and it's called Ann Sons. But your brother, you pursuing right. medical, not about the track to be involved in this business. We're not pushed away from it, just, no, no, but just, certainly not pushed into it. Right, right. Well, there's another brother. I have another brother who was uh, pushed into it. Okay. And and, uh, and he, the, like, I literally, like the day after graduate high school, he got, he, he was pushed into it. I think he, you know, my, my dad perhaps identified him as the, as the successor. And, and I, I don't think, I, and I don't think it was a fit for him. I think he, he was here 36 years and I think he was unhappy every day. Yeah, I think you mentioned that when we first met. Something yeah. about painting walls or something. I that was well, I got story. I, I, I hired him as a painter. So okay. He, so getting back to the so story of how the, I got to be here. So permanently, that's your entry. I when I realized I didn't want to do medicine, I um I I, I took some pre-law stuff and I took some pre. I was looking at some other stuff, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took some computer science. I said sort of like that, but I decided to take a semester off, and I stopped by. The the uh, where were you studying? Where were you? Wayne State. It? Okay, and I stopped by the the uh, plant uh, in December, and uh, and I mentioned to one of the guys that I had worked with in the summers that uh, I was. Uh, he said, "What you up to?" I said, "I'm going to take a semester off." And he said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet." He said, "You want to do some painting?" And uh, and I said, "Sure." And he said, "I'm going to come in Monday morning." And so I uh, so basically one of my uh, one of the employees of my dad's company hired me to do some painting work at 5:50 an hour, and uh, and I showed up, you know, January 2nd or 3rd or whatever it was, and uh, and set out to do this paint job inside one of the warehouses. And uh, the paint people said it's too cold to paint; you can't, you can't do it right now. You got to wait till it gets over 30 or whatever. And uh, and so there was a big pile of aluminum, and and they said, well, why don't you just cut up that aluminum? And I just, from working summers, I knew many of the jobs. And so I just started working in a shop and then somebody took a vacation and I filled in and then, then the weather started to break and we started getting busier. And I, uh, and I just kept working in the metal and not, uh, never, I, I never painted that wall and it's not painted to this day. How, how do you go from, you know, work, all those jobs you had and working in this business and it's an industry that's evolving and changing and there's innovation like and then into doing acquisitions and global and i mean where where did you how did you glean all of that learn all of that about the industry about business like where did that how did that all come about well you know that's um that is a fantastic question jamie in the i guess the answer is um you know you walk before you run and yeah. so it happened so gradually 
uh, well, for the most part, um, I, you know, my intent was just to work in the shop for, uh, you know, for a, a couple of months. Okay. And what I did was I, and, and ultimately it was to keep busy and to make sure I had some beer money, you know, really. I was, I was making five <laughs> That's a normal hour, motivation. Yeah. Living with my folks, five fifty an hour, and I needed just a little bit of spending money so I could go out Friday night with my buddies. The intention was to do it temporarily, and I, um, I was enjoying it. I guess is the bottom line. And I, uh, I started go. I went back to school uh, uh, part time. I stayed working full time, and I and I continued studying part time. I liked computer science, and I pursued a computer science degree at Wayne. I, uh, I and I graduated, and I began uh, to interviewing for computer uh, positions. And I interviewed with some. I interviewed with Ford, and uh, at the time was Michigan Bell. You know, it was a phone company. I interviewed with. Um, Burroughs, which sure. later became Unisys, yeah, and uh, and uh, and you know, and I, I got a second interview with Unisys, and and along the way, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? I because I was really enjoying the scrap business. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, and here I am looking at leaving something I really enjoy to try something I might or might not enjoy, and and by then I was. You know, I was doing okay in the business. I was the cust. I was I had good customer relationships, and I was you know I was making deals, and it was you know mostly self-taught or just you know learning on the job. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and I so then at that point I said you know I'm going to stick with this. I was I was also looking at a pay cut. You know what I mean? So, so by the time I graduated college, I was making probably thirty grand a year. And you know the the entry positions in the computer science were like maybe twenty or twenty two. You know what I mean? I thought, okay. And, and at that time, it would have been a. And I had just gotten married. It would have been a you know to take a twenty five percent pay cut to try something. I don't even know if I'm going to like and walk away from something that I know that I know I love. So I stayed with it, and uh, I started taking some business classes, and in uh, and so you know, that was like nineteen eighty eight. Then I made a decision to stay, and um, my dad and my uncle were partners. They're you know lifelong partners. And in 1991, my uncle uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer. Okay. And he died in 1992, and um, my dad Sorry. was uh, was you know uh, you know pushing 70, and he uh, and he you know he asked me to start sitting in on some meetings you know because not only did my you know my, my uncle so my uncle got sick and passed away and his uh, his management in place left and went into competition with us okay and started attacking our account base and uh and the economy wasn't great business was tough and so we uh, you know the balance sheet was ugly and, and I, I didn't know much about reading financial statements i had started taking some business classes and stuff and uh, so that's when i kind of got thrust into the leadership um and uh and you know and then in terms of acquisitions and stuff like that, uh, you know this, you know these guys that were our, our, our competitors, um, that, you know they got an offer to sell their building and they just called and said, hey, we'd like to sell you our business and we just made it up as we went along, you know. So well, what do you, you know, what do you want for it? And I did the math. I thought, you know, yeah, this is if I take over these accounts, this is what it's going to do to our bottom line, and what, and then uh, deduct from that what it's going to cost me to acquire it and. The math worked, so, so we, pretty, we so yeah, moved on. There's, and, ma there's math behind it, but yeah. pretty basic business. In stuff. retrospect, I you know I stole the business from them. I didn't and I didn't know it at the time because I right. really didn't know you know they had nothing to compare it to. But I gave them what they were asking. So at that time, was the business that business that you were getting involved in had love for? Was it computerized? No. You, so it was part of. Did you see that opportunity clearly? Yeah. To okay. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I wrote some software. Uh, you know, because we were. 
was a small company and we, we sure. were all we were all hands on yes. you know and uh and we uh some of the stuff so i i wrote software to automate many of the things that we were doing manually with you know with paper with you know carbon copy paper carbonless forms you know what i mean yeah so i mean it, it probably if people listening to this for business to operate for 60 years of its life pre-computerization right right uh i mean done yeah. a lot of stuff done manually by oh, yeah. hand and then the efficiency that comes from that, or yeah. and the and the and the resistance to the and the change. resistance. Yeah, sure. I mean, we uh, you know what do we need this for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember that. So we um you know we one of one of the key parts of our business were people walking in with scrap to sell for cash, and uh, and my job for many years was uh, was buying was was making deals with those people, the plumbers, electricians I talked about earlier, and uh, at the time that uh, you know after I'd taken over and started computerizing things. The, I remember the day we first put a point of sale terminal at the metal shop scale, and the guy at the scale was having a panic attack. He's this takes so much longer, I <laughs> and he was he, he was literally having an anxiety attack. You know, for the first day, but once he got to it, it was like it's it, faster. It, it, it was it was it was eighty percent you know time savings. I mean, you know, because you just you typed in the weight and the commodity and the price, and that, and the, and that system did the rest. You know, we used to otherwise we used to have to walk in and write down the weights and the prices and use a calculator. To calculate how much it came to, sure. add it up, and, and now it's, it's adding it's machine up. tape coming out and all that. But the guy was freaking out because he had customers waiting, and he was just, you know, the, those first few transactions where he had to figure out how to create the transaction with the computer. Just, I, I, I love those stories of that explode. late '80s, early '90s, kind yeah. of com- early computerization of businesses, and except it never ends. Yeah, now it's a forever cycle of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's just yeah. It's, it's almost too fast. What what's I mean is are there some uh, quotes or statements or mantra or anything that holds over say from your grandfather or that your father repeated you know kind of the early days of the company rated from G to rated R or whatever. Yeah, there's uh, there are a lot, and I don't, you know, and so I don't know how much they apply necessarily to our industry. My dad's got tons of sayings, and a lot of times I need a, you know, I need a context to, uh, you know, to come. They, you know, in the, yeah. in the right situation, they pop up. But uh, um, you know, my dad uh, would say, uh, if they're hanging a man and you can use them, cut them down. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. And uh, that one's you know, new I, to me. <laughs> the idea is the idea being that, you know, like, you know, you, sometimes you have to do business with unsavory characters, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you know, and so maybe, uh, you know, uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, that's, that's a, Mur- a Murphy's Law, uh, you know, and, uh, and, you know, my dad would say, look, if, you know, just, you know, because the guy's unsavory, if, if, if you can work together. And we, and, and at one point we formed a partnership uh, with our with a competitor, we had a third. We had, we had there was a competitor in town that was just a nuisance to everybody, and and the 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 competitor who had previously been our employee who left and went into competition with us, we you know we kind of reconciled with and and we got together and acquired the 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 a third guy, you know that was a nuisance to both of us and uh, and we were partners for almost twenty years in that deal. So you've been I mean you've been a deal maker then in this business for mm-hmm. a lot of the years. There's, you know, we've done uh, we've done a lot of acquisitions and we've done and we've done a lot of sales too. I should say I shouldn't say a lot, but for a business our size. Uh, you know, we've we we've uh, expanded and 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 harvested. You know, so uh, any memorable acquisition that just unfortunately didn't work out or was kind of lessons learned from it. I mean, many did work. 
the you know the best ones uh, are the were the ones that we didn't do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sins and, of uh, omission and commission, right? Right. Yeah. 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 We did that. Uh, we we came very close to doing that a couple of different acquisitions. Um, and uh, you know, one thing I pride myself on, Jamie, is that uh, is a family business. Although the family, uh, the the business took a toll on our family eventually. Uh, we we stayed very close, and uh, we never voted on anything. Everything was okay. always by consensus, you know. And uh, and my dad was uh, was a rock star when it came to um, letting letting me and I should say us, my sister and brother and I, uh, do what we want with the business. He was including not, make mistakes or yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Make he's not a moves. control freak, and he uh, he relinquished. Uh, you know, I, I, in a way, I think I mean he wanted to. It was it was good. It was a good decision of his. He he was um, he embraced change. My dad loved the growth, and so he, he he allowed us to to do things to expand the business. But he uh, and he also. Uh, shared the business. He he started gifting us shares in the '90s. Not much, just little bits. But, right. But you know when you you know uh, uh, one of our managers uh, once said uh, uh, a thimble of water is a lot to a thirsty man. Sure. And so you know uh, so you know he gifted us one percent or something like that. But then you're working things. like an owner, but you're an owner. Yeah. 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 And then and then from and it's funny because I uh, you know I can honestly say that um you know my dad never gave me much i mean he gave he, he gifted me uh some shares in 94 and 95 i think and nothing more and i i, I we bought everything else yep we he, he worked it bought it yeah gave yeah, the acquired, opportunity yeah yeah, yeah yeah we you know we borrowed and we you know whatever how we did it but and and he sold shares back to the business which you know which diluted himself and and uh, and increased our percentages and things like that but uh but you know he just gave us that seed and and uh and it made the rest go pretty smoothly but he, he relinquished control and he relinquished stock to us. Uh, I kind of forgot my point. And was. but yet your father continued he, coming into work most days. Uh, he still comes in sometimes. And he's, and he's, he's almost how 90, old? Almost ninety six. Yeah, I mean. But up until a few years ago, he was here every day. And uh, I, and the that's you know, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my father's seventy eight now, still coming yeah. in most days, and loves it. Right. Yeah. So he uh, he was very enabling for us, you know, and so, uh, and, and he was always pro growth. And so when these opportunities came along, we, uh, you know, we were able to, break. so that back to the question of, uh, uh, the, you know, what the ones we, we, we didn't do, uh, yeah. there was a, there was a, a guy who a very smooth talking guy who started a recycling operation and, uh, hmm. and it was amazing on paper. I mean, he, the guy, he was, the guy was a marketing genius. The company was called recycle max. Yeah, the great name. Maybe I and kind of remember it, but possibly he was very big in office paper recycling, and uh, and we invested heavily in him, um, in in the form of uh, equipment loans. You know what I mean? So we didn't we didn't buy into the business, but we had looked very closely at acquiring it. And uh, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, we you know that you know we understood the the necessity for profitability, and he had forecasts. Uh, he had he, he had the guy was a spreadsheet genius. You know what I mean? But. Uh, um, he he had these forecasts, but we we never really invested in the business. We uh, you know we 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 took a wait and see attitude. So we uh, and it was we you know we we got in pretty deep in terms of acquiring equipment for their use or for to lease to them okay. and things like that. And they were never able to pay. And uh, over time, I, I think eventually we wound up getting almost or all of our money back uh, and uh, and doing okay on it. But uh, that was that that was a, one of the memorable non deals. I think got um, it. There's, but there's, listen, there's, there's hundreds of stories, especially in the scrap metal business, there's a lot of unsavory characters, you know, and, uh, and, um, you know, we were, we got roped into a, a lawsuit one time. This is not an acquisition story, but, uh, 
we had uh, we had a, a big customer who was a, a peddler. They were they were in the business of uh, you know collecting metals around town and then bringing sure. them to to so because to most people your business is what they put out on the curb right or what they have at their uh, office. Yes and no. Yeah. So at one point that was a big part of it. But I uh, mean that's what they know of. Most people yeah, out there yeah. know of it. But before before we did that we you know so a lot of it was like you know you have a machine shop that manufactures automotive parts and they generate stampings of, and right. or, or or turnings uh, you know borings things like that shavings as people call it and so. Well, that was a big part of the business. It would come in in trucks, you know, so a guy might bring in a dumpster full of, of aluminum shavings. And in fact, that was what was going on with this one deal. And this, and so there are these guys, they, uh, they we typically call them peddlers and they, sure. uh, their, their job is servicing these industrial accounts and then, and then selling it around town. They don't have a yard. So they, 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 they're like a kind of a middleman and they okay. provide the service. Okay. And this, this one guy, this one guy had a lot of industrial accounts and he, um, he used to bring the aluminum shavings to us three times a week, you know, in, in 10, 15,000 pound quantities. And um, he he uh, always wanted to get paid for part of the load uh, on the spot and part of it as a monthly check. So he would, you know, and that was his routine every day. Every time he brought in a load, he'd say, you know, pay me for a third now and pay me for the other two thirds at the end of the month when we settle up and you know, fine, you know, we, you know, whatever. We were happy to get the business. And this went on for years. And um, what happened was he, uh, unbeknownst to us, he was taking the the one third and putting it in his pocket and taking the two thirds or whatever the amount was at the time, uh, he, he would make it up as he went along. You know, if it was a heavy load, maybe he'd take half. If it was a light load, maybe he'd take a quarter. You know what I mean? But, and uh, he was, and then he was the, taking, then at the end of the month, we would send him a settlement for what was unpaid. And he was taking that to his customer and showing that to, as representing that as the total amount of ah, material that he had. Using how you paid him for he, some financial moves. Yes. And they went on for years. And then, uh, so then they, when they found out, they sued him and us. And, uh, and, you know, so, it, and it was, I mean, it was a fiasco. I used to have a client who would say, put your devious hat on. Cause he said, people are just so good at figuring out ways to game a system right. and how to look at things. And, right. Uh, and, and how creative and how much innovation energy is put towards yeah. bad, I, move, bad approaches. And, yeah. and I'm so naive about it. I don't even yeah, like, you I'm know, a, or, or trusting yeah. or honest yeah, or integrity. Like, yeah. You if, assume if you, others, the best in others. If you lack the devious creativity, you you can't even imagine people, you know. Exactly, how they come I, up with I'm, these. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. You don't have to go that way. So we're sitting here in Roseville, Michigan at GLR, Great Lakes Recycling. I'm talking with Sandy Rosen, a little bit of audio work. So 1927, we're, so you're seven, well, we're seven years away from the 100th yeah. anniversary of this company, this family business. Yeah. What all are you talking about? that it's going to look like at a hundred or plans for these next seven years? Or, I mean, is that even, is that bandied about? Do you, do you think about the century mark at all? No, uh, no too early no. to plan for it. I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, I, I guess that I, I'm not sentimental about it. You okay. Know? And, uh, I, you know, I, I've loved the business my whole career and it's, it, it's, you know, given me a lot of gray hair. But it's also given me a lot of. Pleasure. You don't have much gray hair, actually. So yeah, thanks. And uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I can't explain that. Um, I've never dyed it, just for the record. <laughs> we, um, my, so my, uh, my dad doesn't come in too much. My older brother uh, retired, uh, geez, more than ten years ago. 
my sister and I are, are partners, and uh, and uh, and we've you know we've expanded the business uh, several times over, and we've sold off parts of it. Uh, and we uh, over time we started developing uh, a model where we uh, we put. We, we we make a partner out of a manager and you know, we get a quality okay. manager and we make partners out of them and, and let them run it so so today we uh and in and let's say we've sold off uh i think five or six plants i gotta i have to think about it uh anyway not important so you know we've expanded and sold and um so you know so let's say at least a half a dozen of our operations and so uh, and then of what we have left we we have operating partners in each of them Got it. But none of our kids, none of my kids, and none of yeah, our kids. Yeah, that's the key question, right? Yeah. Okay. No, so our kids are not in the business and don't appear to have much interest. So a lot of your planning is contingent on the fourth generation not being right. involved in the business. That's, that's exactly right. So for that reason, I mean, geez, you know, we had a, you know. We Any had of them a, doctors? Uh, my son is in his fourth year of medical okay. school. Okay, so. Yeah, that yeah. that approach. Continued. And my daughter, one of my daughters, is in her third year of veterinary school. There you go. All right. And one of my daughters is in her second year of physical therapy school. So uh, I'll have three doctors. Great. <laughs> if that's not if, yeah, if, if, some if, some irony there, you know. And um, and my and my sister's kids all have their their things going on. Um, the uh, one is a medical coder. One is um, is a uh, has got a degree in uh, public policy, and she's living in Washington D.C. Um, and uh, two or two or her others are still studying. But uh, and so we formed these uh, these operating partnerships. So the next generation are these managers yeah, these and partners That's that right. have been in the business that right. care about the business. Okay. Right. And so uh, and I, and I expect and since we've harvested off several parts it's it seems to me and by the way we've never gone looking for a buyer it's in in all sure. every everything we've ever sold was because somebody came along and really kind of made us a, a, an offer that we that didn't make sense okay. to refuse um and uh, i suspect that that that's probably the the destiny for what's left um i uh i would in all fairness the you know the people these operating partners have done very well for us and and in all fairness i i see it the the right thing to do would be to to continue to give them increased stakes you know Great. so and uh, and the discussions i have with them is, is over time well you the, the the company can buy shares back from my sister and me and uh and you know and then eventually they'll be in majority positions and, and if they want to buy us out they can buy us out so i i think that uh that this that that great lecture cycling is clearly a, a three generation max yeah but still defying the odds of it extending on to that next generation it's just some you know extended family if you will right yep. people that have grown up in the business so one of your posted values around here is constant improvement so the family and all these other people who work here. What what are you all working on improving right now? I think it's a, an improvement mindset, you know, okay. because you, you, one of our uh, so this is like the opposite of uh, one of the things we joke about is uh, people say, well, why do you do it this way? And say, well, that's the way we've always done it, and then like right. that's that's the wrong answer, exactly. You know? And uh, and to never become complacent about. I share that with you. Yes. Yeah, and and so always embrace improvements in the way we're doing things. And we want our, you know, we we had a manager say, uh, we know we're going to have problems in the future. We just don't want them to be the same problems we have today. Mm -hmm. 
That's an exciting thing in life, right? New good problems, right. as they say to have, right? right. We, we went through a period where we uh, we had uh, ISO 9000 uh, certification and uh, and and that, you know, that the buzzword for that is continuous improvement. Yeah, and yeah. We, you know, and uh, and uh, I, and we, you know, we didn't want to use that buzzword in in our in our values, but we, you know, we wanted to make it the, the point that that's that that's constantly in our mind. If if uh, if there's a problem, you know, if something goes wrong, we want to identify the root cause and and fix it so it doesn't just keep doing it. So what would be, you know, non-politically, I guess, although that's part of it, what's a threat on the horizon then for, for this business or the businesses you have? Amazon. No, I'm just joking. No, no, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I know. I, I, I you never know. I say it tongue in cheek, yeah. right? Yeah. If Amazon starts going into recycling, you know, you know, you know, UPS your copper to us. You know, kidding aside, though, I, 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 I you never say never. I, 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 I don't think that that's a possibility. Um, and you know, they're short term, long term. I, you know, recycling makes sense. And yes. uh, although there are people who argue that it's more trouble than it's worth, you know, but it's. Uh, it, it certainly makes more sense to reuse uh, resources than to just to throw them away and, and mine up new ones. You know, um, the uh, you know the the, the savings. You know, we're always going to need paper, even though so you know you know printed media is in decline, of course. But uh, but packaging isn't going away. They're the Amazon effect, right? right. Yeah, yeah, everything in our door in a box. Right, and you know, people want products and uh, and. And hand towels and tissue and you know and uh, cellulose insulation. There's always demand for you know and and it's either coming from trees or it's coming from paper, uh, and uh, and and trees are a renewable resource, but uh, it takes a long time to grow them, uh, and uh, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of water, and it creates a lot of pollution to make paper from from trees. Okay. Uh, and uh, and it's an, a tremendous savings to make paper from paper if you can do it, you know. And what you need is collection efficiency. But you know, like and now we're facing, uh, and this is a little political, but uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of demand overseas for for the the, the products we're collecting. That's what I that I knew there was that part of it, right? Where where materials are going right, in some cases. Right. And so, but th th this too shall pass. But what happened was, you know, recycling became too popular, and it, and people got too enthusiastic about it, and they made the the curbside recycling programs too complicated. And now you you know, so it's you know, you, you have a simple program where we you take paper, number one and two plastics, tin aluminum cans. It, it's simple. Something simple like that, but then they start saying, "Well, you can throw uh, grocery bag, plastic grocery bags in there, and you can, and you know, and then you can throw in, and then you can and throw in um, milk cartons and aseptic packages, and uh, and some programs said, you know, throw your, you can throw your old computers in, and or cell phones, and in fact, in my community, they had uh, for a while they had uh, a program where they said you can." Because uh, we've never done the collection, we just do the processing. So, right, uh, you know, right. so all, waste collect. haulers collect it, and they bring it to companies like us. And we're no longer in that business, by the way. We sold that business in okay. 2011. Um, and they said you can put use uh, batteries in a in a plastic bag on top of your recycling bin. And this, I mean, it's just disastrous. It's just sure. It's disastrous. There's just there's just no good way to you know because first of all, people don't listen. You know, they when they say, well, on, on top, underneath, whatever. You know, our plastic bag, paper bag, no bag. What's the difference? You know what I mean? And so, uh, what, what wound up happening is is then they and then they said, well, we'll take plastic one through seven. You know, next thing you know, is this Ziploc bag? Is this uh, pill bottle cap recycling? And and 
And the rejection rates, the residue rates from what was collected at the curb from the time that we started doing curbside processing in the early 90s until, say, you know, the last decade, the, the early on we would get residue rates of 1% or 2%. Um, and, uh, and, and at the time we sold our, our processing plants in 2011, they were in the, you know, five to 10. And I hear stories, you know, from other people saying that they're upwards of 20% residue rates now. And, so something, was, and, even that became complicated. Yeah, for became, people. And, yeah. And what winds up happening is, is the more stuff there is in the bin, the more, the more contaminated, the less pure the, the things are recovering is. it. Yeah. I got it. And, uh, and it needs to get back to basics. But right now, so it, China was a dumping ground for that for a long time because they had low wages and you could send paper that was 10% plastic over there and they could pick through it. They could pay, you know, 20 people to pick through it by hand and clean it up. But, but then the, uh, but the other 20%, the other whatever, 10 or 20% was getting thrown out and, you know, they just throw it in the, in the river behind them, you know, and so created a, 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 an environmental mess in China. And it was the old, perhaps overly extreme response was they said, no more recycling, period. You know, they, they there probably was a, a middle ground that might eventually get there. But in the meantime, now recycling programs are suffering. That uh, the China not taking, the, or I should say the overseas countries not taking the, 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 the collected materials uh, has driven prices down and it's, cre- it's caused recycling to become more expensive and uh, the quality in many cases isn't good enough for consumption here in the U.S. And so it's, it's created a lot of problems and so that's I mean that's a big threat. And then, Got it. And, and, some, and some municipalities are bailing out now. They're saying, hey, we're not going to recycle. It doesn't make sense. And so I see that as a, a threat um, because I believe in recycling. I, I believe it, it makes the world a better place. It's, it's simple common sense, good for the world. Um, but you need to make in, in in my own my in my own house my family asks me questions about sure ability sure things. so you, I think if the, if you all don't know right if my kids don't and my wife and kids don't know how to recycle then what how, how, how about, how about the other nine hundred ninety nine you know out of a thousand people they they and and you know I drove by um, I, I drove down my street this morning and I saw the across the street the neighborhood carpet in their recycling bin. You know, and, and and that just and you know what, and that's, the plant can re, can pull some of that out, but they can't pull it all out. So some of that carpet winds up. That's in what, the, that's in, what's so fun about this podcast. Everybody, whatever business they're in, how they know and view. You drive down streets and look at, and and businesses and what's being recycled yeah. in materials. And I look critically at other people's advertising. Yeah, plumbers and, are yeah, looking yeah. at sinks in people's yeah. houses. It's a uh, you know, or the tile work in the bathroom, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing. It is funny. How, um, throw some quick hitters at you here. Uh, you made a lot of, we said made a lot of deals, you know, to, uh, how do you make decisions? What's your style and approach for making decisions? Gosh, you know, I think the, the easy answer is, is mostly common sense. I did go back and get my master's degree in business at Michigan State. So you're constantly learning yeah, seems yeah. to be part and, of you. Yeah, right. And I spent some time with Vistage, which is a, uh, a peer group. Yeah, yeah, peer, yeah, group. Okay. It's a peer group. And, uh, and, and so I, I do enjoy, uh, you know, constantly try learning more and, uh, and bouncing ideas off of peers and things like that. But uh, the decision making for me is, first of all, I, I, I'd say I'm more on the conservative side. So, okay. you, know, you know, if it makes sense, you know, you really sit down and do the math. Am I better off, it, you know, making this decision A versus B? If I do A, how will I be, you know? Yeah, so not you're not a snap decision maker. No, you go through some you know, some analysis. And the bigger the decisions, obviously, you know, what we're having for lunch is a pretty quick decision. But uh, whether or not to invest a million dollars in a machine is takes a little bit longer. Good. 
And uh, my approach is, and it's an interesting one, is uh, I, I never really think of myself as very creative. You know, if you give me a piece of paper and, and you know, tell me to draw something, I'll, you know, probably draw a smiley face or something. I, I, I'm just really not super creative. But uh, I am. Well, that's artistic creation, perhaps, creativity. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, however, uh, I, I, as uh, I, I worry work by nature, I am extremely creative when it comes to thinking of what can go wrong. Okay. And, uh, and so for big decisions, I, you know, my, my approach has been mostly coming up with as many scenarios as possible of what could go wrong and how I would address each one. And if I have a plan B, C, D, E, and F, then, then you know, then. No, that, and, and therefore the decisions you made, many of the decisions you made have gone right. Right. So you can feel good about, I put it through that ringer, right? Yep. Okay. And, and it's worked. I mean, I haven't. Yeah. Know, thank goodness, I haven't had any any devastating. I've made a few bad deals, but nothing. So, in your Vistage group, you were probably doing that to a lot of your peers in there, oh, right? Yeah, Probing sure. and asking and pushing on yeah. all the ways well, things could go. What do you do if if yeah, if, if, if then this happens? Yeah. You're still writing code. If then, whatever yeah, yeah. trees. Well, that's a great point. What? Um, how would you? How would you? Or how would uh, your family members and and some of these key managers describe your leadership style? Uh, gosh, I, 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 I hate answering questions like this. Um, I think, uh, why do you hate answering questions like this? I don't, cause I don't, it's not, I, I, cause I, I, you know, I, I think that they would say positive things and I just don't feel good saying. Okay. Myself, All right. So you know? you're so, okay. Um, I, 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 I good. Think they would, right. I think they would characterize me as fair and patient, uh, enabling understanding. Good. You know, uh, I, I pride myself on. Uh, you know, not yelling at people. You know, sometimes they get uptight when people make mistakes. Uh, another quick side, if, quick side note: the other time we can edit it out. Um, when my son was very young, I, probably somewhere between five and ten, he did something wrong. I was yelling at him, and he said, "I made a mistake. I know I made a mistake. And no matter how much you yell at me, it's not going to change anything." And this light went on in my good brain. for him. I honest to God, like for a little kid to say that, right? And I, it, I took that to work with me. Yeah. As soon as a person knows they made a mistake, everything you say after that is wasted breath. And I, I, I recall occasions where I, where I saw people screw things up royally and, and maybe have said nothing. Where there's a look. Yeah. And I'm looking at them like you screwed up. They're looking at me like I screwed up and there's nothing Lesson more learned. Yeah. There's nothing more that you can say. Right. And now, if it happens again, then you've got, story. right, yeah. right. And, it's learned yeah, if, if yeah. it's learned. And and, and and those things don't happen again. Uh, there's a, a Dale Carnegie uh, anecdote. Uh, he interviewed a guy and I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember the name, but the guy was like a ace pilot or something like that. And, okay. And. Uh, and uh, and he was flying. He was a stunt pilot or something. And he was flying, and he um, something went wrong with the plane, and he crash landed and sort of lived, or he barely, you know, he he barely landed the plane because it stalled, and and uh, they found out that the that the 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 plane had the wrong fuel. Like you know, they put diesel fuel instead of airplane fuel or something like that. All right. And the pilot said. I, where's the man that fueled my plane? I want to see him right now. And they brought this young man over and put him in front of me. He said, from now on, you're the only person that's going to be allowed to fuel my plane ever again. He said, because I, I know for sure you will never make that <laughs> again. Yeah. And, uh, and I love, I, I love that story. It's, yeah. It's, it's, you know, and, um, 
and and, and so then like those occasions, I think about where people screw up, and we okay, you you did it, but it was bad enough that I know that story's that great because my dad still recalls the rental car he returned because he put the wrong fuel in it. Oh, and they he... charged him all the money, and 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 still talks about how could he do that because the two nozzles are so different, and the yeah uh, yeah. Well, here you know, here in the U.S., green is diesel, but in the Europe, they fl- it's, it's opposite, right? You know, right. And, yeah, it was it was it was domestic that he did that. Yeah. Uh, talk. You you talked about being recently being you know at a cottage. So some of the things that you do to get away from. I mean, when when this podcast is about family business and generational business, that can be all consuming and it's your whole life. And then you hopefully balance that with doing some other things. So what are I, I know you like the cycle. We talked about that when we first met. But what are some things you do to get away from the business? Um. So boating, okay. I've been a boater my whole life, and um, and and so I like I like being on the water. You know, whether it's sitting on the dock or sitting on the boat or taking a little boat ride or eating at a restaurant on the water, it really the water relaxes me. Yeah, yeah, great. There's a photo on the wall taken at, at our neighbor's dock uh, at the cottage, and uh, it and. Um, I like kayaking. I like hiking. I, I sometimes I feel like I should have been born a hundred years ago, you know, because I, I, you know, uh, I, I can't I'm, stand the rat race. I'm the same. Yeah, I hike. Yeah, I, stuff that unplug stuff. Yeah, yeah. The far, and the farther I can get away from the madness, the better. You know, I, I, you know, I've been on hikes where the guy behind me is on the phone, you know, and it's just I, I, it, 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 you know, I just I, I, if I can get to a place where it's it's quiet where you can't hear. Get a hike where there's no cell signals. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I like hiking, I like biking, I like uh, kayaking. Um, I do a lot of do-it-yourself stuff. Um, it's funny because I, most of my career, I, I had fantasized about just sitting on a beach or, or sitting on a pool chair or just sitting, you know, and, uh, and, and there's, it's a sort of, uh, sort of anticlimactic because, you know, you can't, I can't sit for more than a few minutes. You don't sit so still very like, well, right? I, you know, I get to the, I get to that place where I wanted to be, like I thought someday. And then you, now what? <laughs> sunset, uh, you know, on the beach in Tahiti, or I've never been to Tahiti, but I think to myself, someday I want to be in one of those, those villas where you're over yeah, the water. It's over the water in the pictures. Yeah, water, I know, you know those. And, and uh, I've learned more recently that, you know, that as soon as I'm there, after five minutes, I say, okay, now what? Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but those are the things I like to do and, and to travel, you know, and uh, I, I like to keep active and, uh, and, and, you know, I like to see other places. But again, I, uh, I some of the places that interest me are, again, off the beaten path. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about how, how magnificent it would be to go to Greenland. <laughs> you know, probably absolutely nothing there. You know what I mean? But uh, but it's, it's very attractive. It's and, 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 and travel yeah. is a form of learning, right? I mean, yeah. it's educational. Sure. And, yeah. and so sure. you, you, you like that about it. I do, yeah. too. Uh, what, look, big question here, but the most fulfilling thing for you about this generational business? Um, I think maybe beating the odds, you know, whenever you tell someone you're the third generation operator, uh, anybody who, who knows anything about it is, you know, has a sense of awe and I am not, I'm not looking, I, I, I don't need an ego like that, but I, uh, I, you know, I feel like I really accomplished something, um, and uh, and uh, and knowing deep down that uh, that the, I think I, I'm a, a big believer in um, in learning the ropes, you know, the old-fashioned way. You know, I, I started you know working in the shop. My yeah. sister started working in the office, weighing you know weighing trucks, 
and uh, and you know we're both you know we both have uh, like you know truck. I have a CDL. I can operate a okay a tractor trailer, and and you know I, I can operate a Bobcat in high. I'm actually pretty good on the high low, and I mean it just it's like you know it's, I haven't done it in 20 years, but I can get on tomorrow. And, and that's pretty great. I mean I, I was telling you I mentioned started this podcast with Dan Musser at Grand Hotel, and he said I worked at the front desk, and I worked in the baggage, and I worked in the restaurant. You know all right. the departments all touched every part of the business, right? Right. right. And I I did the same in I, our business I was, and in uh, all the areas. I was yeah. subordinate to, you know, over the years, I was subordinate to some of the people. The people who, who now work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or, or, or a coworker, you know, and the people who've been here a long time, they, they, you know, and, and you know, and, and I, I don't, I don't. Or there were pictures of you as a little kid on your father's desk yeah. or credenza or something, right? Yeah. yeah. But the, you know, it's funny because they, the people that I worked with, they know. So, I mean, I, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm sitting in a corner office today, but the, the guy in the truck saw me in the shop sorting paper on a conveyor. You know what I mean? He, he, he was sorting paper next to me. You know, so he, you know, they, and, and the word gets around, you know, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have, we'll go around with sign on my back saying I paid my dues. No, it's to lead, lead by example kind yeah, of stuff. They know, they know. If I walk, I'm walking through the shop and I give them a tip about, about uh, you know, operating the lift truck or the Bobcat that, you know, that only a person who's a seasoned veteran could know. Nice. You know what I mean? And I'm not doing it to, 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 to show off my knowledge is to, is to be helpful, you know? And, uh, and so I, I get a lot of, I think I, I feel like I earned what I got, you know what I mean? And, uh, I, I get a sense of achievement. That's from, great. From, from what we've done. So your advice to others, you know, I mean, my target for this podcast, Generation Excellence is other people who might be coming into family organizations or wrestling their way through different stuff in, in, in those kind of environments to for for those people to defy the odds to be the one to take it to the next gen what 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 would you what would you sort of instruct instruction for them it's almost impossible what i what i would say would be the ideal situation is almost impossible and that okay would be, that would be incognito start start in the business as though so undercover boss and a, undercover boss now we um my sister and I had our our kids spent some time working here, and we, uh, you know, we made, we told them, look, you know, you don't come here in a nice car, right? Uh, and you know, or or park some don't park next, you know, don't park your in the your, visitor your, space, your, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, right, or, or yeah, handicapped space, or 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 you know, my kids, my kids had decent cars, you know, what I mean, it's like don't park your car next to one of the places. But we said, you, uh, you first of all, we did, we didn't hire them. We told them to contact HR and okay. you know, and of course, H- and yeah. we told HR don't give them any, you know, any special. No favoritism, yeah. But uh, but of course they do. But that we had we made sure that they got put on the bottom job, and we told them uh, don't come to my office and eat lunch. You eat lunch in the break room with, you know, you have to take your break and your lunches with the people and uh, and pretend, try not to let them know that you're. Uh, one of our our family member, you know, and of course they do, but but we we the the to me the key was behave in such a way that no one knows that you you do the job as though you're not family, and uh, and I and I think because that that that's the only way you can get the real experience. Yeah, you, know? you didn't quite get a chance to do that yourself, right? No, but not really. so it's an ideal kind well, of thing. Yeah, you know, my dad didn't give us any. My, you know, it was a very small company. I didn't give us any special treatment. Oh no, you and, worked. Yeah, yeah clearly. It was a, yeah, punch in and. Uh, you know, punch in and get to work, and uh, and and so it was sort of unintentional for us. I mean, yeah, everybody knew, 
you know, we were, you know, Ben's kids or whatever, but, uh, but the business was so small that any, any one person didn't do, didn't pull their weight. It was, it, you know, stuck as, you know, it was like a sore thumb, you know, and it was funny. It was cause I remember doing it not for any particular reason. I mean, like when I was, a, there was a pile of aluminum and it had to be cut up. I just started cutting, you know what I mean? It's like, it, 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 I never really thought about, you know, you know, am I working hard? Am I not working hard? Should I work longer, faster, slower? I know I was just, I, I loomed them, I cut it up. You know what I mean? It's just sure. Like looking back on it. And, uh, you know, my sister was in the office. If a truck pulled on scale, she got out of her chair and she waited. And, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we had a job to do and we just did, did it. Did, did what was necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I, that's great advice. I, Sandy, I thank you for doing this, for taking me into double digits in the podcast. Uh, I'm honored. And, and this we'll, was fun. we'll play us back soon. No, it's very fun. Thank you very much. Generation Excellence is hosted by me, Jamie Michelson, with help from SMZers Eric Freiberger, Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienfeld. Thanks also to Randy and his team at Stage 3 Audio. Thank you for listening, and please give some of the other episodes a try. One more thing. If you have comments or a suggested future guest, please don't be afraid to contact me.